Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I'm your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Elle Marr. Elle is the number one Amazon Charts bestselling author of Strangers We Know, Lies We Bury, and The Missing Sister. Originally from Sacramento, Elle graduated from UC San Diego before moving to France, where she earned a master's degree from the Sorbonne. University in Paris. She now lives and writes in Oregon with her family. Publishers Weekly said, Mar is a writer to watch. Yay, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. And we're going to talk today about the family bones, which I gobbled up and a a super fast, twisty, fun read. Can you tell our listeners about the family bones, Al? Yes, I am very excited to. Thank you. Uh, The Family Bones is a locked room thriller set in the rural backwoods of Eastern Oregon at a family reunion among psychopaths, which goes horribly wrong, as they are wont to do. Uh, Throw in a true crime podcaster, stay-at-home mom, Birdie Tan, who investigates um, cases with minority victims who are not given as much media attention as they might otherwise. And I'm hoping that it's a compelling read for readers. Oh my God. Yes. It's such a fun read. And I'm sorry, can we just go back to that? A family reunion of psychopaths, because that kind of says it all. Like I'm, I can't imagine why you, that could go wrong. Right. Can you, can you talk, you, do you know, or remember the inspiration for the story, like where the seed came from? Yes. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you feel that way about the log line. Cause I was like, if I could create a book around this, yes, <laughs> I think I would like to read it. And I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that what we want to do? Like we're trying to write books that we will want to read 8,000 yes, times exactly. and hopefully readers will want to read too. Exactly. Um, I got the idea from research during my last book um, about psychopathy, about the broader antisocial uh, personality disorder and, uh, and, was trying to figure out the onset of my character psychopathy and learned we really don't know much about it. Um, the medical science community is very vague on what are the origins of psychopathy, if there's anything that indicates it, and really there's a serious tug of war between nature versus nurture. Families that have instances, uh, evidence of psychopathy or sociopathy tend to have greater um, uh, possibilities of it showing up in their line further down or maybe in the past. Um, But otherwise, a lot of it is suggested to be environmental and ergo also treatable to a certain extent. So it uh, it gave me a lot of a lot of ideas. But the one that stuck out to me was uh, what if psychopathy or sociopathy, the greater ASPD spectrum showed up in one specific family um, so known that uh, the true crime community would, you know, have their name at the tip of their tongues at all times. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought I, I could sit with that. I could sit with that for 300 pages. Yeah, <laughs> and a year yeah. And a half. I know, absolutely. And I mean, um, it's so interesting because you mentioned in the book about this 23 being this like key age. Can you talk about that? Because I had never heard that. I thought that was really interesting. Yes, there's a little bit of artistic license there, um, but it is. Uh, Sociopathy and psychopathy are suggested to, um, I guess if you have any of those um, 
synapses, those tendencies, they, um, or that, that cognitive, uh, I guess, place uh, or possibility, it's really going to mature around your early 20s and then late 20s, I think, for males. Um, so it's not... It's not, again, it's not anything that's set in stone. It's a very fluid diagnosis that, uh, you know, for certain people, are, it's very treatable and others not, not as much. Um, but I really, I wanted to try and create a timeline where my characters would um, feel a sense of relief um, and also a sense of urgency. Right. So tell, I mean, so tell us about our main character, you know, Olivia Erickson. She's a little bit of a, she doesn't necessarily want to go to the family um, reunion, right? So, I mean, because she is right at this age. So, can you just give us a little hint as to what, you know, what the driving force is? Because I think that's really interesting for her to go. Yes, definitely. She's, uh, she's conflicted. Of course, she's a graduate student in psychology. That's her coping mechanism of how she's been able to um, grow up into a healthy adult, um, knowing that she's got this kind of um, genetic possibility in her background, given the generations of, of, evidence that suggests her she's got ASPD in her family. Um, so she's really studied it to get her hands around it, around what, um, you know, might lie in her genes somewhere. And she wants to study it up close with primary sources. As a psychologist, she, as an academic, she really wants to understand something. I think that's true for many of us. Once you see the smoke monster in Lost, it's a lot less scary. Right. Right. The TV show Lost. Um, once you, I, I, even like during Stranger Things, right? Like once you see the monster, um, the moment right before the monster's revealed, it is so much more tense. And then once you see right. it, you're like, oh, I could, I could handle that in some degree or like whatever weapon I have could handle that. Exactly. Um, and so she really wants to speak to her grandfather and her aunts and uncles who have grown up in this and some of them managing to become very normal functioning people in society. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, the other main character, this is interesting comment that the other main character, Bertie, makes, and she says, you know, I'm a woman who has everything in the world I could possibly desire, you know, and I should crawl back beneath the sheets beside my loving husband, but instead, I stare at the inbox of my form messages, wearing my, oh, sorry, I mistyped that, willing my computer to ping with a reply. So it is said that, you know, more women are interested in true crime than men, right? So why do you suppose that is? Like, what is what about true crime is compelling for anybody? And what about it do you think is more compelling for women than it is for men? That's interesting that you said that because last night I was thinking about the Saturday Night Live sketch. I don't know if you caught that, where it was um, it was from like a year or two ago um, when everyone was um, very much still at home. And it was about like women, like getting ready for Friday night, like singing, singing a song, like all of the women cast characters um, getting gussied up or getting settled in at home from, you know, a night at home with my, uh, just myself. And there were like, you know, sexual undertones. Um, and then everyone turns on true crime. Everyone turns on a documentary. Everyone turns on their favorite movie or TV show. And uh, I think that really speaks to, you know, to your point, how true crime is so pervasive, just really on everyone's dashboard these days whether yeah. it's your Netflix dashboard or what else and I think you know it comes down to our you know our fascination with the unknowable how could someone commit those crimes and then also right. um you know our fascination with uh you know the whole reason we consume escapism to think about like what would we do in those situations right right 
I think there's a part of us that feels like if we if we can see it played out, we can we'll know we'll know when it happens to us how to get out of it or whatever. I think that is I do think that's part of the attraction of any crime show, and it's probably part of the reason I write. Maybe it's part of the reason you write. That there's this idea that you know I'm I'm dealing I'm the worst things possible are happening inside my head, so I'm putting them out there so that I can solve them and and end up with the right you know the right ending, I guess, right? The right result. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I feel the same way. I definitely. Yeah. So, um, one of, you know, one of the things, um, you talk about, um, it, you know, is the sort of idea of, um, the, you know, the psychopaths aren't these, kill you know, they're not killing machines. Um, they're, you know, basically they, if they learn early enough that there are early consequences and that sort of deters their deviant, but if they don't, then they, then they learn it in in jail. So I, this is my first Elmar book. I I have to confess, but is this so? Tell me about how this fits into the sort of what what you write about in general in your other books. Is this a theme for you, sort of exploring the psychology of of characters and of of why people do bad things, or what you know? How does this book fit into your into your publishing career? Yeah, thank you for asking. And I just want to say I am a huge Danielle Girard fan. Oh, I can't believe that you've you. written so many books. They're all oh. excellent. Um, so thank, thank you. That's very nice. Book of mine. Thank you. <laughs> I loved it. I'll look forward to more. Well, thank you. I um, I definitely in my writing. This is only my fourth book, so I'm you know I'm still creating my portfolio. I guess only but your fourth a, book. I'm sure there's a <laughs> lot of listeners who would say that's a lot of books. But yes, I yeah, understand. I You're silly still just saying it. <laughs> you have many more books to, to write, but you've written four books, and that's very impressive so sorry I interrupted no thank you <laughs> um I would say that uh, mental health is a theme in my books I I hope to uh destigmatize it when it comes up it's not like it's not all, none of, not all of my books are about mental health or the spectrum of it but um occasionally it touched my books have touched on it on themes of mental health and I I always hope to destigmatize it um or at the very least of destigmatizing, you know, therapy and the importance of self-care. Yeah. Um, Cause I really think therapy is just so great for everybody, no matter what stage of life you're in. Absolutely. And we should uh, all be in therapy. So, There's no question. <laughs> especially yes. After the last few years. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I do think um, this book is very heavily centered on psychology and yeah. mental health awareness and both um, cognitive conditions neurotypical conditions and neurodivergent conditions. Um, it was important to me to not paint psychopaths as these big bad monsters in this book because I have kind of done that in other books of mine. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, uh, even I it wanted, out now. Yeah. I want to even it out. I want to point out that truly ASPD is not some, you know, uh, scarlet red letter A. It's uh it's a condition that that can be treated in most cases. Um, and in terms of like social deviance, we're all born a little socially deviant. We all have to be tamed a little bit, I like to say, as a mother of two small kids uh, yeah. to conform to society. So it's um, it's not an unusual idea that we are all learning how to navigate this world together. And Absolutely. I hope that that's what the book kind of touches on. Yes. Well, and, and maybe to avoid family reunions of psychopaths, that's another one I would put on the list of things I learned in the book. But so you, said, you, you, yeah, you say ASPD, and I, I don't know what that stands for. Yes, it's uh, antisocial personality disorder. Oh, okay. I've I didn't heard know of it, it before I, either. Yeah. Okay, I've just not heard it as ASPD. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, that is, is that the, the psychopaths are under that umbrella? Is that the idea? Yes, and I, let me just say, I also taught psychology in France. 
not a psychologist. No okay. reason to be. <laughs> Don't take my well, word for any of those. Right. But I did but teach you, psychology in France. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, you taught, then you must know, you know a lot more I than taught, I do for I'm sure. Psychology. But uh, yes, yes, ASPD is the umbrella that psychopathy, sociopathy, borderline personality disorder, and I'm sure several other disorders sit underneath. It's just the the broader term for it, ASPD. Yes, makes sense. Um, And I love the idea that, I mean, I love the way you utilize the idea that that some of this is in our genes, because I think it is, I mean, there are so many things that are sort of written into our, uh, into our genetics that we don't appreciate or recognize. And the idea that um, Olivia would be like, I, I think I'm, this might be, I might be violent because of this, you know, because it's in my genes, but there's inner, it doesn't seem like there's anything in her that's like, oh, I did this. It's not like she was like, oh, I killed that person. Maybe I'm a psychopath. It's more like, it's, and you can imagine it. It's like, if, you know, it doesn't exist in her that she can see. It's like if you're, if you're, you know, somebody in your family had breast cancer, you'd always be worried about was it showing up, was it showing up. But this is so, so much harder because if you're living inside the head of a psychopath, at what point do you actually realize you're a psychopath, right? Right, and also like for the, to your point, like if someone commits like an egregious crime or murder or something, that doesn't equate to being a psychopath. It means True. you did a, a very terrible thing. Right. So it is like this um, very gray area that Olivia really delves into as a psychologist trying to wrap her head around like why some of her relatives have done certain things and many others have done nothing at all mm-hmm. and uh, certainly she's lived a very mundane existence aside from her her social media fame um, right. at this point until the reunion so it is like uh, you know what lies dormant within each of us is a question that I love exploring mm-hmm. along with you know how well do you know someone that you've known your whole life or that you've been married to for 15 20 years how right well do know anyone? <laughs> how well do we know anyone it's so so true I agree I think it's really fun to explore sort of if we were pushed if you were pushed what would you do like you know the question is like you you have small children so you know this like I would kill to defend my children no question right uh, they're 23 and 21 now so they probably have to defend me but um but you know what I mean there are there's there's to me there's no question about certain lines and then everything else feels a bit like no I would never do that but I don't know right push to um push to something it's yeah it's it's impossible to answer so so tell us a little bit about your process is your fourth book or you know do you have a has it been sort of the same each time you plot you don't plot how does that work for you yes I used to be a very um, wayward writer. I would just kind of write and I would discover things along the way. And, um, and then I was overjoyed to land a book contract and realize you can't contract and write like that. Or at least I can't under my right. timelines. I can't. Uh, and so I, now I have, I know the beginning and actually I don't even know the beginning. I know the end. And yeah. then I plot out the main plot points, the main story, um, structure points, and then, uh, discover a lot from there. Oftentimes the middle is totally different than what I envision. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a combination of listening to my beta readers and and really listening to what I know is interesting and what I myself am bored by. Um, yeah. Frequently, I would just push it off until my editor <laughs> makes me change it. And yeah. I'd be like, ah, you and I are in agreement. I was just there three months ago in denial. That's right. But, That's interesting. Yeah. So you have a good editor you work with. It sounds like you work with Charlotte Hersher. I've great, heard great things with, about her. Yes. Um, yes. For the family bones. She was amazing. My, um, my other three books were edited by uh, Caitlin Alexander. Um, both were really incredible uh, help 
to the stories yeah. that I've written. And, and I really love what Charlotte did with the family bones. She was so great. I think that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of, um, you know, newbie writers, they don't consider sort of like the, the importance of an, a really good editor. And it's wonderful to have a critique group, but the experience of a seasoned editor is a totally different thing. And it's, it can really just change a book immensely. So when you say you plot out the plot points, are you thinking like, are those like the eight beats kind of thing? Can you, can you tell readers what that is? Cause I don't know, we, we've talked about it occasionally, but not that often in, on the podcast. Yes. And, uh, and truly I think every, every, you know, writer's process is different. This is just kind of how mine loosely works. Uh, it really, reading Save the Cat writes a novel was really helpful mm -hmm. to me. And it, it discusses like the eight beats and also, um, you know, the beats that comprise a TV show or a movie. Um, I find the first major plot point about 25% of the way in. I find the pinch point about 30, what is it, 33% of the way in or 37% yeah. of the way in, something like that. And then the 50% mark, the 60, like it's very, I'm a little yes. mathematical in that I do want to know exactly where the percentage points are. And then I ensure that the pages also line up with those points so that, you know, it kind of hits for the reader, hopefully. Right, um, right. Where I, where I desire it to hit. Right. Um, whether it does elsewhere, is, it's great. But um, I try to at least map out my, my, my punching notes, my ones that I want to hit. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's, and do the characters come from, I mean, so can you tell us, did Olivia come first or did, did Birdie come first? Like, how did you, do you remember how that evolved? Because they're two, you know, very different, but, you know, complementary characters. Yes, thank you. I uh, started with Olivia and the Ericsons, 100% X. I wrote the whole book almost. I wrote the entire book actually with just the Ericsons. And then I went back and, and thought there's something missing in addition to me not hitting my contract at 80,000 words <laughs> for my right. publisher. I need to add another 20,000 words. Uh, I realized that there was something missing, another perspective, and really a perspective that uh, is something very important to me um ideally like i guess the perspective of minority victims in the media and mm -hmm. in true crime uh, i wanted to uh take this true crime family and then also juxtapose it with these other um this other part of true crime that's maybe not giving as much airtime and yeah. and that cases of minority victims and it's something that we've really seen a, a uh, more attention given to the last few years. Um, but I always try to write characters that I think are true to my life, that I see in my life, that I wish that I saw more of growing up. Um, right. And that I think reflect the world that I live in, which is a pretty diverse and interesting world. Um, so it was first Olivia, who I love and uh, loved writing her. And then, and then Birdie, who I also love in totally different ways, um, who I was really inspired by. Uh, True Crime podcasters, who I, I think are just incredible mm -hmm. podcasters in general. So hats off to you. <laughs> oh well, that's really I yeah. I, the True Crime podcasters that is a, I mean they're doing so much work behind the scenes, right? To to the research and the trying to actually solve those crimes. It's uh, really incredible. So um, now, do you have like? And not everybody does this, so I'm. This is, you can feel free to say I have no idea, but I always think it's fun to talk about like when they make your book into a movie right because of course we all that's that's what we all want to imagine right who would play yeah. who would play birdie and who would play um olivia 
Have you thought about that? Oh. Not everybody thinks about that. So I apologize if I caught you. Uh, <laughs> you're like, I haven't dreamed that far yet. I haven't dreamed that far yet, but off the top of my head, I am, this is like real time brainstorming okay. with you. I love it. Uh, I would love um, Dove Cameron to play Olivia Erickson. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dove Cameron, uh-uh. but she's, uh, and I'm really hoping I'm not messing with it right now. Uh, she okay. was you're in good, Disney. Right? <laughs> we're just, <laughs> we're just chatting. We're not, we're not, there's no one's going to fact check us. We could be totally wrong. We're putting it out there in the world. We could be totally wrong. She was in what? Thank you. Safe space. This is a safe space. Thank you. Yes. Uh, safe she was, space. Yeah. She was in the uh, Disney made for TV movie, The Descendants. And she played, uh, I think she played Sleeping Beauty's daughter. Oh, Sleeping okay. Beauty's daughter. And so she's very blonde, very blue-eyed, um, yes. very angelic looking face. Mm-hmm. Um, very beautiful. And then Birdie Tan, I would love, uh, oh gosh, I mean like Philippa Sue because I love her from Hamilton. I'm a Hamilton yes. right here. Yes. Oh God, you do. I loved Hamilton. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah. She would be amazing. I would. That's so I Dream big, so that would dream. Be Thank you for asking. Well, yeah, dream big or don't dream at all, right? So, yeah. um, what can you tell us? What you're working on now? Yes, I am working on. I just sent off my manuscript to my beta readers for my next book, uh, The Alone Time, which is a psychological thriller uh, about a plane crash that occurred in. Um, the Pacific Northwest about 25 years ago, took the lives of two parents and um, allowed their two daughters who were children at the time to survive for three months. Flash forward 25 years later, um, and there are some new revelations that come out that then threaten the version of events that the sisters have been telling ever since then. Uh, so I'm- <laughs> sounds super fun. I love that. Thank you. And do you. Do you have a date for that yet? So. Spring 2024, I have to turn it in to my editor, uh, March 1st. So it's coming. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you are, you are hard at work. I love it. You really far. It seems like you're, it seems like you're well, it, that seems fast, right? Doesn't seem like you're ahead of the, ahead of the, I never feel like I had, had a book turned in a whole year in advance. Good for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm hopeful. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, so now tell us just a tiny bit more about your, so you have two small children. How do you, how do you schedule your, your writing time? How do you, how do you make that work? Oh, uh, that's a question I ask myself every day. Yes, how I know. Work? <laughs> how am I going to make I'm this sure work? As I'm sure said. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's a big challenge to, to be a mom and a working writer, of course. Absolutely. To have deadlines and toddlers is very incongruent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm very lucky. I'm super, super fortunate to have a, my husband who is incredibly supportive uh, of my writing deadlines. Um, so he, he also works from home. So we're able to kind of trade off when needed uh, in watching the kids. I wake up early before the kids uh, wake up and then um, I write during nap times. Honestly, um, I have very good sleepers. <laughs> good, I know. That is yeah. amazing. Well, good for you. That's, yeah. I mean, I think you make it work, right? It's like you want to be a writer and obviously you want to be the best mom you can be. And so you make it work. And that is, that's super impressive. Well, this is so exciting. So 
the psychopath family reunion you have to see this i love i love when publishers weekly says something like that mar is a writer to watch so exciting lots of good things coming (laughs) this is out march 7th and so our interview is actually going to post on march third second so at this moment you have like just a couple days left to order the family bones and they can deliver it to your door i always think that's amazing on the day that it is published so this has been it's been so fun to talk to you al thank you so much for joining me thank you and if i could just add one more thing just to two minutes i just just last week learned that uh publishers weekly actually gave a starred review to the family bones so Ah, I'm super happy. <laughs> that is, those are highly coveted and hard to come by. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such a great chat. I really appreciate it. Oh my God. It was wonderful to have you. Everybody go check out the family bones. If you want to read about a psychopath family and it is, there is so much fun stuff in that book on these, these people who are locked at that. Uh, it's like the Erickson estate, right? It's like the old family estate. It's lots of twists and turns. Thank you so, so much. I hope that, uh, thank you so much for reading too. I know uh, you have a busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, this the podcast is such a labor of love. I love reading all the books and getting to talk to all the authors. So thank you for joining me today. Everybody, this has been Killer Women with our guest, Elmar and the Family Bones. And I'm Danielle, and we will see you next time. Bye.